Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for ASHP's podcast, DEI in Pharmacy Practice. This podcast explores the issues, experiences, and perspectives of underrepresented communities in ASHP's membership, including BIPOC and LGBTQA plus members. Episodes will trace practice journeys, examine the impact of allyship and intersectionality, and stress the critical need for cultural competency among the pharmacy workforce. My name is Eric Marika, and today we will be chatting with Commissioner Jasper J. Watkins III about making the transition from a career in pharmacy to his role as a newly elected member of the Gwinnett County Georgia Commission. Jay, thanks for joining us today. It's a real pleasure. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Eric. It's a long time no see. Yeah, it's nice speaking with an Army colleague and fellow veteran. Well, let's start out to tell us a little bit about yourself, and that can include recapping your, your pharmacy career and then talking about how that bridged to your current position. Oh, well, great. Well, I want to first of all thank um, everyone from ASHP for having me to do this. I, I take it as an honor. I'm a longtime ASHP member and actually with, with, was with the and still am with the Association of Black Hospital Pharmacists who work alongside of, of ASHP. So I'm, I'm, I'm a military brat. My dad was in military, so I grew up. The first part of my life was in Germany. Uh, with him. Second part was in Okinawa, Japan. So I actually came back into the United States. I was 17. My parents retired. My father retired in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. I was supposed to go to West Point, but because I wanted to be a pharmacist, ended up at Florida A&M School of Pharmacy in Tallahassee, Florida. So I would say my collegiate years at Florida A&M School of Pharmacy was great. Had a number of mentors and a great college experience there. And when I finished school at Florida a I said, I actually met my wife there. Uh, my wife was attending Florida State at the time. And as you know, those schools are primarily next to each other. And I decided, I said, you know what? I wanted to take what I do in pharmacy into the military because I had, you know, my whole life, I've seen military pharmacists, you know, going to the hospital and actually had an opportunity with, with a dependent uh, military dependent work study programs. I was actually a pharmacy clerk from like 14 on when I was in Japan. So it, to me, it seemed like when I would go to the doctors, it was like, you know, being a physician was great, but why, why do you keep looking in that red book? He's like, well, that's why I look in the book for the drugs. I say, so you, the doctor, have to look in this book about the drug. I think I want to know more about the book. <laughs> and and that's why pharmacy was so dear to my heart and went into the military, had a great career, met a number of great people in the military. And my kids were all born in the military. Matter of fact, they were at Walt Reed Army Medical Center. And I, I felt that I did my residency, I actually the residency in nuclear pharmacy in, in the military and also did a training with industry, a program for a year was with ASHP and it was medication error prevention at ASHP for a year. Retired from the military 
and said, you know, I, I still want to serve. So went over to become the director of pharmacy for the state of Florida and, and did that for five years. Had a great time in the state setting up various programs and disaster programs and medication use programs with various counties and establishing telemedicine type programs as well. And then, you know, retired at Fort Benning in Georgia and said, you know, I need to go back home to Georgia where I live. And then I did two years of clinical pharmacy at the the VA in Atlanta, primarily working in the hematology oncology uh, department in that portion of the pharmacy. And at the same time, I was working with the Minnesota Multi-State Pharmacy Alliance, and I felt that it was time to take what I've learned in the military over into the private sec. So I formed my company, um, Wadi Consulting LLC, and they got a contract from the state of Minnesota and established my company. And, you know, I think that drive of still wanting to do more and serve was there. So I transitioned into politics. And I, I felt that that was a good segue into, okay, I'm in this part of my life as a pharmacist where I could take everything that I've done in my military career and my civilian career and with my company and now translate that all into serving my community. You know, I served my country, served the state in which my parents retired. Now I wanted to serve my community here in Grayson, Georgia. That's how I got into the politics. Great. You know, a few points you made there were the Florida A&M connection. And I will say, you know, in the Army, there's there's certainly a pipeline of graduates and they, they uh, and, and young officers that continue to look up to you as, as a mentor and a, a fellow uh, alumnus. So that I think that probably gives you some great pleasure there and, and, and pride for your alma mater. Uh, you also mentioned that the ASHP training with industry program, and you were the first. And we just, by the way, finished the fifth iteration of that. Oh, we wow. have Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Taylor, who's now at Defense Health Agency. But okay, uh, so the program still goes. It's not every year, but we have hosted a number of Army officers at ASHP. But you started that. You were the trailblazer, and uh, we thank you for kind of planting that seed. Well, I appreciate it. So you talked about the transition to public service and obviously you had an interest in, in politics. Hopefully this is a, a beginning of, of many more great things to come beyond what you're doing today. But I had an opportunity a few years ago to uh, do a county leadership program that my boss kind of encouraged me to do it. And it, it was about city council, et cetera. But you know, it really opened my eyes to the breadth of opportunities to, to lead at the local and state levels. But, you know, as county commissioner, tell us a little bit about what, what do you actually do? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, you know, I get that question a lot. When I, when, I, when I searched, kind of figuring out what portion of the politics I wanted to be in, I looked at the, the three levels. You had the, the federal level or national level where you know, you come up to Washington, D.C., and you and you make law, you know, at the House and the Senate. Then you had your your state House and Senate as well. And, and primarily they're 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 more your lawmakers. But, you know, Eric, as well as I do, we're operators on always have been. We, we execute. And I saw that local. Meaning like commissioners, they have 
an extra added piece in this because as the laws are being made, it is up to the county commissioner to execute those laws and put them into policy that everyday people can use. So we have to filter through all of what the lawmakers have decided and then try to make policy to fit various communities. And that's a difficult task in itself. So we're at that ground level. We're, we're out there with the people. We see how the laws affect a, a, a community. So when you talk about county commissioners, especially in Georgia, they carry a lot of weight because after the governor gives, and I'm just going to give a number, after the governor says he's going to give the county, the county's going to get from the lawmakers to the government, say um, uh, $1.1 billion. Then we have to take that budget and then spread it out amongst the various areas within the county. And that is looking at infrastructure. And that is looking at the budget. That is looking at the health and welfare of the county. Um, that's looking at land development and zoning. That's looking at water use, sewage. And that's looking at law enforcement and emergency preparedness. So we, and, and as pharmacists understand, we're given a budget by the hospital and says, this is all you guys are going to get for the year. And as you know, disease management doesn't stop with that budget. I mean, new things happen and various drugs change during that year. So, you know, we're kind of like in that mold of how to take a dollar and get a dollar and 15 cent worth of stuff and make it work. And that's what we do as commissioners. We take that budget and we make it work throughout the county. You know, we, we look at the buildings and the roads that need to maintain. We look at the criminal resolutions and law enforcement and jails. We look at implementing the state laws into county policy. So that's primarily what we do throughout the day. And Gwinnett County is broken up into four districts. So you figure in my district, I have over 380,000 people of all various nationalities, race, ethnic origins, political, you name it. It's, it's just a, a mix. So when I look at how to transition laws into policy, I have to take into account everybody not just one group or one idea or one thought. Yes, it's, uh, I, I admire, <laughs> I admire uh, your, your ability to continue to lead and, and lead from the front. And I particularly like your, your comment that resonates with me as operators and executors, because that, I, I feel that, and, and sometimes that, that to my detriment at times, some of the work we do at ASHP, I, I like a mission, Here's what we have to do. Let's execute it. And, and sometimes it's it has to be linked to professional policy. And it's understanding that both as a pharmacist and military officer. How did those roles prepare you today for what you are now setting out to do as, as commissioner? Well, what it did was it allowed me to take a more holistic approach to how I look at um, leadership. because. You figure we come from a stringent leadership 
I'd say, philosophy in the military where we're guided by our principles and that we have laws and we follow those laws and we have a rank structure and we follow that rank structure. Then you transition that over into the civilian sector where you have a department and then you have a pharmacy manager and a pharmacy director and pharmacy departments and supervisors where the law is not that stringent as far as how you deal with people in HR, but it's still that pharmacy law. You know, you still have that governing standard. Now, when you come over as a commissioner, when I sit in the room with my fellow commissioners, when a conversation ensues about an issue or, or a process, as pharmacists, we're like type A's. We just don't want to we just don't want it to be on how I feel about it. You know, show me some data. Show me the statistics. Let's go through the, the, the principles of Lean Six Sigma. What, what are the what ifs? What are the failure modes? How is this going to affect not only the general public, but how would this affect the people who are going to enforce that or be responsible for that? So it's sort of like, how do you transition what we're talking about into the philosophy of, measure twice and cut once. Because as you know, as pharmacists, being type A's, we see more because we have more empathy with with what we see. And we have a tendency to look forward and outward to things that not only how that affects you, but how you with that are going to affect other people. And that's kind of how I look at it. And I do that with, believe it or not, with the five rights. That's what I did. I, 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 my principle and my, my platform are the five rights. So when I look at the patient, the right patient, I'm looking at what is the state? What, what is the state? What, what, is, what is the overarching piece that everybody's looking at? And then the right drug. How is this, this particular piece going to uh, affect my cities? I have six cities and six unincorporated cities that I have to work with. So how are these going to affect the cities? The right dose. What amount of time is going to be spent in these communities in dealing with this? And then the right route. How are people suited for this? Is this city going to be suited for how this is going to act? And and then the right time. Is this the right time for this policy in this particular section? I may have a more progressive city where this policy may work well with. But then I have I may have a city that may be struggling in other areas where this policy may be detrimental. So how do I take this policy and put it all together to whereby it will be beneficial for everybody? So basically what I look at is when I'm talking with my fellow commissioners, I want to know the side effects. And that's sometimes they laugh at me when I say that. I say, I want to know the side effects. What are going to be the side effects of this? Because we have to address those in some kind of way. And anytime you address a side effect with a policy, it's money. It's money and people and resources. So what is this side effect going to cost us? And that's how I use the pharmacy with what I do. Yeah, uh, you know, good medicine. So it's, I think that <laughs> that, that cures, cures ills. And uh, that, that is a great approach, you know, and Speaking about success and how you were able to land where you are today, there's always that invisible architecture behind the scenes. And 
you know, how, how did your pharmacy family or network support your campaign during your, really your, your aspiration to, to uh, pursue this opportunity? Well, I, I tell you, it was kind of twofold. I mean, this is my first time getting into it. So I had a very tight knit group of people, meaning five folks that worked with me in a campaign that was over, I think, forty, fifty thousand dollars. So it was, it was, it was, you know, this was wasn't my first time trying for this position. I ran for this in 2016 and, and lost by one percent to an incumbent that had been there for a minute. You know, being the commissioner, I'm the eleventh commissioner in District Three in the entirety. I'm the first pharmacist that's ever been a commissioner in Gwinnett County and the first African American in District Three that's been that's been a commissioner. So Gwinnett County was primarily a red county coming in in a red state. So it was very difficult as a Democrat to try to get into the the different areas to to talk about functionality, to talk about economic development. But what I did was I took some of the readings from the late Hubert Humphrey, who was a pharmacist and vice president, and read some of his memoirs and books to understand how he, he as a pharmacist and how he as a civil rights right activist and being a vice president, how did he work across party lines? Then I took some of the conversations I had with the late Wendell T. Hill, who was an ASHP president from 72 to 73 that, that I met while I was uh, in D.C. at Walter Reed um, before he passed and talked to him about how did how did you break the barrier? How did you how were you effective? And, and leading an organization as the first minority to be to be in that position. And then I had an opportunity to talk to a number of the deans at Florida A&M University, one of which Henry Lewis had been a commissioner in Tallahassee, uh, so in Leon County commissioner. So I asked him, I mean, what, how did you transition from a pharmacist to an actual pure leader that really had nothing to do with the transport of medication. And, and um, the thing that the common theme from the books and from the conversation was you, like you said, Eric, you, you, you lead from being out front, you know, understand what the side effects are of what you're going to do and be able to address them. But, but first and foremost, be honest and trustworthy to your constituents. You know, don't lie to them. Just like as a pharmacist, when you're at that front counter and that patient is looking for advice, you know, don't lie to them. Tell them the truth. Help them to understand their condition and what's going to happen in the future with them. And that's kind of how, that's kind of like how I use my network and how I use some of the individuals who had come before me to set myself up for success in this position. Any particular mentor or mentors that help guide you and advise you as part of your political career? You know, unfortunately, Eric, you know, other than being a man of faith and, and, and belief in God, I had actually, there weren't any. Because when you look at us from former military, not too many of us went into politics. So it wasn't any one person that I could call on to say, how was it for you? Uh, even though I know Wagner, I met him before I left. We had we had discussed me and Mark had discussed about 
I told him, I said, I'm going to be a mayor one day. And he laughed at me. So when I became commissioner, I had to send him a, <laughs> an email to tell him, hey, I did it. <laughs> but other than that, we didn't have anybody. And, and when I got into this position, you're talking about a veteran, a person of color in a red state, in a red city where politics was on the forefront. There wasn't a whole lot of Democrats I could talk to about being in politics because the last Democratic commissioner they had in Gwinnett County was in 1982. So that wasn't a lot. So what I had to do was what they call grassroots. I had to get out there and just meet. You know, so I could say, if I had to say I have mentors, it's District 3, it's Gwinnett County. They were my mentors. They basically guided me. They kind of kept me not in the box, but but helped me navigate through these times. And then we had the monster called COVID that came along and that just exasperated things and made it even more difficult because now I had to do more of like we're doing, you know, online as opposed to, you know, pressing the flesh, which kind of, you know, is, is, a, is a big deal. So I would have to say my mentors would be Gwinnett County in District 3, and that's why you know, I just can't let them down. That's a that's a really great answer that I people person, obviously you are. That, that comes out to me is, is what that is. You know, you, you're early in your term, but and, and you alluded to some of this, but what projects are you most looking forward to in undertaking in your role as commissioner? Well, Gwinnett County is just like any other thriving metropolis. It's growing. I mean, we're we're neck and neck with Fulton County, which is Atlanta. We're upwards to a million people in Gwinnett County. And you figure I have almost a quarter of them, over a quarter of them in my district. Um, so what I'm looking at is infrastructure. You know, we have a lot of infrastructure issues, especially with the roads and traffic. And then coming off of COVID, is economic development. How do we recover? You know, how do you start to recover? And I think being a veteran, being in the military, it, that kind of helps in that we fight wars, but then we then build back up uh, states and, and cities and, and, and nations um, after we fought those wars. So we have, it's kind of like in our DNA to go in and help restructure, retool and rebuild. So, you know, that's kind of like what we do. And then when you talk about housing, I mean, the, the, the housing market right now is it's it's skyrocketing. When you talk about the um, area medium income of our area, here's about $75,000. But when you look at how much it would cost to, for a family of four to live, a salary would have to be almost $29 an hour. You and I know. That, that's not even in the in the books for for a regular wage worker. It's still seven dollars, eight dollars. So we have a housing issue here. We have housing that's sitting open um, because the price is too high. So it's 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 how do we work? How do we look? In in how do we gain a handle on these skyrocketing housing prices? And at the same time, get workforce to come into the county and make housing affordable for them. You know, there's that annotation that when you say affordable housing, you're talking Section 8 and poor people. That's not the case. You have some teachers and 
and law enforcement and firefighter and EMS and nurses that can't even afford the housing. So you can't say it's a socioeconomic group of people. No, it's, it's what type of businesses do you have as it relates to your housing, as it relates to your infrastructure. So back to the pharmacy piece, it's like sitting down with a PT committee and saying, okay, we're going to bring this drug in. How's it going to affect nursing? How's it going to affect you? Um, ER, how is it going to affect you? Operating room, how is it going to affect you? Yeah, I mean, you sit and you look at all these departments and you figure how are all of these things going to are going to affect them as a whole. And then where do we go from there? And, and I think that's the, that's the big piece that I have to look at, which less than 35 days, the biggest thing that I've been confronted with now is zoning. And that's a big issue because think about it. You move into a housing area 20 years ago. There were nice woods. You could see deer. You know, you had a running path. Now, fast forward 20 years. Somebody wants to put an apartment complex there. Well, you don't want that apartment complex there because you won't see the deer in the running path. However, remember, 20 years before you, there was a farm and he liked his land and he liked to go out duck hunting. And so there was always somebody that didn't want you or your development there. And just let's face it, economic development is going to change everything. Progress is not going to be stopped because you can't see the trees anymore. And to move somewhere and to say, I moved here because I wanted to see the sunrise by those trees for the rest of my life. In a city, that's not going to happen. Even in a suburb, that's not going to happen because economic development is going to take that area and grow it in some sort of way. So my thing is meeting with communities and trying to hash out something is gonna go there. So let's get together and say what it is, how it is and why it is before we say no. Let's control the growth as a community, not as a lawmaker or a policymaker. You tell me, what do you want community? What do you want there? Do you want a Jiffy Lube or do you want an Ace Hardware? Do you want a McDonald's or do you want an Olive Garden? You tell me. Because something is going there and you have the opportunity to decide along with others what it would be. And I think that's, that's the fun part about it. And then that's the kind of part that, that keeps me up at night too, of, of knowing that I'm going to have to make a decision on this based on what I hear and, and what I see and what the data brings to me. Last question for you. As someone who's made the transition going military, pharmacy into now politics. What advice do you have for someone who may be interested in making a similar type of leap from practice to politics or in, in essence, another field? You know, I would say, first and foremost, do what you're passionate about. You know, when I, when I started pharmacy at Florida A&M, in our minds, it was the practice of pharmacy. That's what it was about. It was, it was the practice of pharmacy. And that's what I loved about it. I love the fact that pharmacists help people. I, I love the fact that we were um, on that scale of people you trust 
it was the pastor and it was the pharmacist. And we were always neck and neck with who you trust. You know, and I would say with all of the interest fields that are coming up right now and telehealth, vaccines, access to care, Medicaid, uh, the marijuana discussions, PBMs, and things that are going to transition in the future, you can't be an ostrich and hold your head in the sand. You have to be involved. When you think of a pharmacist in a community setting, he's a community leader or she's a community leader already. Because when people come into your pharmacy, and I've seen it, they'll say, hey, Mr. John or Ms. Johns, I'm going to vote next week. Do you know anything about representative or candidate so-and-so? Or, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Pharmacist, how come there's so much traffic out in front of you? Or, you know, the pharmacist kind of is the lifeline of the community. They know where the heartbeat is at. They see the disparities. They hear the disparities. And, and also, as a pharmacist, you understand what people call, and I call it, language equity. Where you have individuals from all over, it comes into your pharmacy, it comes into your practice that you deal with that you have to convince to take this medication that normally they wouldn't take. So they trust you. So I say, as a pharmacist, we listen, we manage, and we lead within the public with our trust. You take all of those things, and then you take them, and you, you, you tighten them up, and then you move to that section or area that you're passionate about. And then that becomes your toolbox. And then as you need those tools, you can then follow your passion. And I think too many pharmacists, we sit back and want to wait. And I think we need to get out front. You know, I, I, I made some, some comments here lately. I'm in the Medical Reserve Corps here in Gwinnett County. And I made some comments saying, you know, the news is always showing the nurses and they're always showing the doctors during COVID. But when you see those bags hanging on those IV poles and that TPN, that's a pharmacist that made that. So, yeah, that nurse was 24-7, but that pharmacist is 24-8 because they couldn't get it if it wasn't for the pharmacist. So we need to, as they say, Hong Kong, we need to toot our own horn and let people know that we are the backbone. We carry the load. We make it possible. And I think we do it, but I don't think we do it enough. So in that transition, I think you should do it. Well, thanks for all the, the words of wisdom today. And, and again, congratulations on your elected role. You make us proud, uh, not only as pharmacists, but as uh, a former army pharmacist myself, uh, it certainly makes us proud. And that's all the time we have today. I want to thank you again, Commissioner Watkins, for, for joining us to discuss uh, your career in pharmacy practice and your new role on the Gwinnett County Commission. Join us here at ASHP Official and the DEI Podcast, where we amplify the many voices and perspectives of ASHP's members. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes 
access show notes and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.